China EVs and more, where my co-host, Lei Xing, and I will go over the week's most important and interesting news coming out of the China EV, AV, and mobility sectors. What Lei and I discuss today is based on our opinions and should not be taken as investment advice. If you enjoy this room, please help us get the word out to other enthusiasts. And of course, tune in again next week. My name is Tu Li. I am the Managing Director at Sino Auto Insights a Beijing-based consultancy that helps organizations bring innovative and tech-focused products and services to the transportation and mobility sectors. I write a free weekly newsletter that we pull many of our discussion topics from. You can sign up for it at SinoAutoInsights.com, which of course I encourage you all to do. Lei, can you please introduce yourself? Yes, sir. Uh, good evening from my side. Good morning to you, too. Well, this is episode number 68, and I am your co-host Lei Xing, former chief editor of China Auto Review. This is a special, another special Friday evening, Saturday morning, Dragon Boat Festival episode. Appreciate your flexibility, Lei. No, it's really yours. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, that counts. But I just had my zongzi. Um, so the rice. Oh, nice. Well, what's the English for it? The uh, sticky rice dumpling, right? That, that's yeah, what it's, it's a called. dumpling, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Sometimes they're sweet. Sometimes they're savory, right? Yeah, I had it with the red bean paste. So some of the headlines, early May EV sales are out. And BYD, as we expected, was way, way, way out in front of everyone else. And a big stimulus from the Ministry of Finance cutting the vehicle purchase tax in half as part of a broad economic stimulus package announced on May 31st. Shanghai finally opens with an asterisk. (laughs) And WM Motor uh, uh, surprisingly submits IPO papers for Hong Kong listing. And boy, are the numbers dreadful. (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> way overdue yeah way overdue but Buick's making a big move up- updating the new logo unveiling two concepts one for the US I guess one for, for, for China and Shenzhen announces a key AV policy supporting level 3 to level 5 autonomous yep. driving and another related news Cruz gets that big permit from CPUC uh, I think th- yeah, I think this is the first in America, I believe. Yes. Anywhere. Yep. Not even Waymo has this. Is that correct? I think so. I think it's uh, pretty significant. Yeah. And another big praise from Jim Farley on Chinese EV companies. Well, Elon gets good luck to the moon comment from President Biden. <laughs> <laughs> All right. May sales. Let's begin there. We've got nine brands that have announced numbers. We'll probably hear Tesla numbers next week, right after the uh, holiday. But it looks like things are getting back on track. Not to 100% yet, but numbers were getting better. It's good. Uh, Yeah. Uh, BYD, uh, you know, for BYD, it was below my expectations, to be honest. (laughs) I thought they're going to do like... 120, 130,000. But dolphin sales fell off, a, fell off a cliff, so I don't know what happened there. Then you have the Han selling like 
22, 23,000 units. Almost 24. Yeah. yeah, more than everybody else by itself in that list of, of these startups. So the three, the three brand or the three products under BYD that's driving sales is the Han, the Tang, and the Song. Or no, no, the Han, the Song, and the Qin. Yeah, and they just launched the latest Tang EV, kind of a refreshed version, a couple yeah. day, days ago. And one of the, I think, surprising brands was Ito, right? They, they said they got to the 10K in 87 days. So, yeah, yeah I think that was more than I expected, to, to be honest. 5,000 units. Just some color on the, the Ito. So Huawei has aggressively moved into the electric vehicle, autonomous vehicle space through a company called Ceres. And Ceres is an EV company, and they collaborated on a brand called Ito. So it's a bit confusing, but together, those brands, the, the Ito and the Ceres, sold over 10,000 units in May. So Huawei is making its way into the segment, into the sector. So, Well, Huawei continues to say that, reiterate that they're not you know, in the in the business of, <laughs> let's say, making cars, but they are, <laughs> right? They're driving a lot of the decision making for yeah, sure. It's 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 almost like you know, not wanting to say lockdown, but it's a lockdown. <laughs> it's yeah. a bad bad analogy, maybe, but <laughs> and so, like we said uh, quite a few times, it, June should be again even better than May. Because you have two things going on. You have the continuing recovery. Um, things are opening up. Okay, thank thank goodness. And the, the stimulus, right, which we can get into a little bit. And uh, basically, just, just a few numbers uh, that you need to know is 300,000 MMB, anything below that, anything below 2.0 liters, 2.0 liters and below gets the half purchase tax savings. So this is an all-hands-on-deck subsidy for ICEs and EVs. So Well, EVs, there are no purchase tax on right. EVs. Yep. So it doesn't really matter. But remember that many cities, Shanghai, Shenzhen being the latest, I think, have come out with, it, with additional stimulus, basically giving you 10,000 RMB if you trade in a let's say, uh, cash for clunkers. If you trade in a vehicle for a EV, you get 10,000 RMB. And what, what's transpired since that announcement on May 31st is many brands have basically done this. They've gotten rid of the purchase tax altogether. So basically, the other 50%, the brand's saying, we're going to pick it up for you. So no purchase tax. If you buy, you know, our brand, and they're also even throwing in insurance. So this, I think, saves many ICE brands kind of not doing well. I think, I think it gives them kind of a bit of a life. I think, right. <laughs> and uh, it's it, it's also worth pointing out. Um, I feel like this time. The reason why, so this is the third time that China has done this. The first time was 2009 and 2010. The second time was 2015 and 2016. In both times, it was 1.6 liter and below 
And this time, they've gone up to 2.0 liters and below. Right. And if you look at those vehicles, they're pretty much 80, 90% of the segment uh, of the market, passenger vehicle market. And I think a big reason why that is, is this is unlike the last two times, which were more geared toward first-time buyers. I believe this time, this is enticing some of the current owners to trade up. Okay, so in other words, all about consumption, all about consumption. Not only for the you know people who haven't had owned a car before, but for the existing owners. Because remember, the it's stabilizing the economy, right? That that conference that that, that happened, and and that's you know that's the telltale sign. And let's remember that a lot of those small displacement engine vehicles are built by state-owned enterprises. So it's propping up a good portion of the domestic automakers. So it's going to help inadvertently. It's going to help Volkswagen, uh, GM to a lesser extent. GM's share is shrinking. Volkswagen share and the ICE is shrinking. So the domestic automakers are actually gaining on the foreign automakers, the VW brands losing uh, sales, Buick's losing sales, Chevy's sales are close to zero or effectively not doing that well. So, And that's why Jim Foley said in an article, um, and I quote, there's a shakeout coming, and I feel like that shakeout is going to favor many of the Chinese new players. And another quote, old automakers absolutely will get consolidated. <laughs> so that's that's... Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not to save any brand uh, to say per se. It's it's to again boost the economy, which have taken a toll uh, the last couple of months. You know, with and this needs to happen though, right? Like because there are just <laughs> a ton of brands, both on the ICE side and the and the EV side. And whenever there's a weakness in the market, those lesser players. They close shop, and that's how that's how a market-driven economy works, right? The weaker players die off, get consolidated, and or get acquired for their team, for their IP. And so what we see, what we should see, is a Neo or an X-Pung, a Li Auto, a Neta, or BYD, Tesla, gaining strength from getting out of these economic downturns, right? Yeah, I think the the word consolidation has been thrown around for ages, and it's been really slow if we talk about true consolidation. And every time, you know, there seems to be a lifeline thrown by the government, the local government, yeah, not yeah. the central government, and and that kind of survival of the fit fittest gets delayed uh, a bit. And so that's why, in in that sense, I'm not a particular big fan of big fan of this type of uh, stimulus. But then at the end of the day, um, economy, that's that's all that matters. Enticing consumers to spend and, uh, you know, to, to trading their, their older cars. And let's, let's just talk a bit more broadly about what's going on. So last week, Beijing opened up. June 1st, officially, Shanghai opened up and it's lumpy. So saw a lot of pictures, talked to a lot of people, 
And some of them are free to roam around Shanghai, no problem. Some are still in limited restrictions. But one thing that's very, very clear is that here in China, everybody's getting tested at least every 48 to 72 hours. It's, it's not required or mandated, but it, it's a tacit mandate because you can't get into any shops. You can't sometimes get back into your apartment complex unless you show that you've been tested within the last two days. And so once that happened in June, we should expect manufacturing to increase significantly because they've semi sort of, you know, after 75 days have contained uh, COVID in Shanghai. And, you know, hoping that this entire summer, Beijing and Shanghai and other parts of the country are able to still contain it, but it's still going to hang over the economy because no real policies have changed, at least on combating COVID. So that's where the challenges really, really will occur, right? Because what we'll likely see is one or two factories or one or two brands have struggles maintaining production while other brands are, you know, going at 110, 120% capacity because they don't have these issues or challenges, right? And so we had talked about it earlier. It's like a whack-a-mole thing, right? Yeah. But it's good to see a lot of people posting pictures of eating out, you know, not maybe not in restaurants, but also at least outside of res- restaurants in open air. At least you can get out, uh, buy stuff, eat, drink. We said these pictures are very jarring, right? Because you see these empty streets one day, and then all of a sudden you see two o'clock in the morning on you know these streets. People are just hanging out, drinking, and stuff like that. And and I say open with an asterisk because whether it's in Shanghai or Beijing, depending on where you live, the district where you are, uh, the situations are slightly different, right? Even in Beijing now, right? Yes. Some districts might be a little bit more restrictive than others. This is how restricted it was last week, Lei. I just wanted to add, DD could not enter other districts. So I live in Chaoyang District, and if I wanted to go to Chao, from Chaoyang to Chaoyang, I could call a cab. But if I wanted to go from Chaoyang to Huairo, then I would not be able to do that. That, that was as of last week, but it's opened back up. So. And uh, but you know, China needs these factories uh, humming. That's uh, especially in the auto industry because again, <laughs> I'd argue that the world needs it humming <laughs> yeah. because of inflation, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so we said it's going to take the entire second quarter, and that's what it looks like. June should be, uh, barring any surprises, June should be good. June is actually. A, a low, yeah. Seasonally, it's low because March, April are the usually the highs, uh, at least in the first half. But it's got flipped on its head because of the you know the, the Shanghai lockdown. Yeah. So so sales were April and May sales were pushed out to June. Yeah. And because of these incentives, we should see a little bump in June. And and things are looking up. So some of the numbers I've seen, the consensus seems to be that, at least from CPCA's point of view, that this stimulus, which 
the purchase tax cuts in half, which is valid, I believe, until the end of the year, it's going to add about 2 million vehicles. Yeah. Before, it was about 19 million passenger vehicles. So now the latest prediction is 21 million. You know, I, I believe 20 million. So the, the two numbers that are very psychological are 20 million PVs. Right. And 5 million NEVs, which I believe is still going to happen. Uh, there shouldn't be a, a problem based on the current, you know, uh, trends and, and trajectory. And second quarter may even be above a million units. Based based on at least the numbers that that, that, that have been released uh, so far, Tesla will will definitely get back on track. I think they're they're already nearing what full capacity now. Yes, yeah, Shanghai, that's what I heard too. So yeah, so that's good. These guys are going to squeeze as much capacity and and utilization out as they can, as long as they have the able bodies and the parts to build these cars, because. They're just going to put their foot on the accelerator because they're afraid that potentially any any outbreak could cut off their production again. So I think these measures that have been put in place are, are very helpful, you know, testing. But there's always going to be leaks or people that get tested and have the wrong wrong results. But the other thing um, I think uh, I just want to mention is um, I've seen a lot of uh, Chinese press really drilling Neil on them, you know, being now at the bottom of kind of the rankings. Um, I, I, I really don't see it that significant. Uh, they did 7,000 units, right, in, in May? Yeah. I do. I do. I, 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 I look at it completely differently. Surprise. <laughs> no, I mean, just the way that, that you know— uh, clickbait titles that I'm not sure, you know, I, I'm not sure it's fair to Neil, but right, because there's there's so many ways to compare, you know, sales rankings is only one way that everybody tends to draw conclusions from. Sure, sure. But then you look at, you know, we can go into WM Motor, you look at their sales, right? But you look at their profitability numbers, it, it's a nightmare, yeah. Did you see that? Uh, I think their their 2021 margin was negative 41 <laughs> percent. So they had they had a huge increase in Cox, I think, for 2021 for some reason, and uh, and they lost. I think over the last three years that they've shared the numbers, I think it's 17.4 billion RMB that they lost. Yeah. So we have to. We should, we should specify that WM and Neo they go after different completely different markets. Sure, sure. That's that's so, why I say you know don't compare the sales rankings. <laughs> you know, don't compare only the sales rankings. Yeah. yeah. But you and I over the last two and a half years were initially pretty long WM. We thought they had a good team in place. We thought their product was decent, but they have these missteps that were perplexing and head scratching. Right. They had had these things happen to them, if you want to say head scratcher or, or missteps, right? They're, in the um, IPO filings, they, they reveal that they're being, they're in a lawsuit with Geely. Yes. That we talked about, I think for like 2.1 billion RMB. They recently recalled some vehicles to do the quality and tons of people have left, right? Yeah. Including 
my including my old <laughs> contacts. So, and and it seems to me that the the recent companies that have announced IPO intention, wherever the IPOs are, CH Auto, uh, WM Motor, these are the two companies that are, I believe, on the fringe, and they need money in deep need of money and capital yeah. injection. Yeah. So. I don't know. This is kind of like the last straw or something. And and I'm going to make a broad a broad general statement. If they could go to the the private markets, venture capital, private equity to get money, that the challenge is for companies like a WM and a CH Auto is that they probably aren't getting the valuation from those private investors that they want. And so Rather than sell the entire company to private investors, they would rather risk going IPO. So that's kind of the decision matrix that they're looking at. So that also should tell you that their valuations among you know investors is not very high. So they're trying to market that their valuation is X, Y, and Z to outside investors for IPOs, but you can't be that confident about it. And if you look at over the last, what, uh, almost a year and a half that we've been doing this, China EVs and more, right? What's been happening, the news events, right? There's not that much on, on WM Motor right. compared to NEO, compared to Liato, compared to, to Xpeng. And the numbers, though on paper, they look impressive, right? Their sales actually doubled. Every year, the last three years, but at a very low base. Yeah. That looked good on paper, but if you look at the finances, uh, right, it's something else. A small portion of their sales were fleet too, right? Yeah. And my perception of WM Motor is that they seem to spend on sales and marketing that, to me, a bit weird. Some of the sales and marketing they do. They got to move the metal, right? Yeah, and and also one of the big turnoffs for me was when they had that W6, they initially marketed it as the first driverless car that you can buy, <laughs> right? It's it's autonomous. Well, what's the word? Autonomous washing, right? I didn't like that at all. So, and then these quality problems. I mean, they have quite a few vehicles, but... And they came out of the gate three, four years ago building their own factory. So yeah. their balance sheet looks completely different than a Neo or an Xpeng. So yeah. another reason not to compare vehicle sales and margins and things like that because their capital structure is completely different than, yeah. than some of their competitors. So Right. They they only had just four billion in cash at the end of twenty twenty one. Whereas let's say the Neos and, and the Xpongs, they have 10x as much cash <laughs> on hand. That's because they IPO'd. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. That, and that's why you need an IPO because it was like it's like a what checking an egg, right? <laughs> so my these are what I had heard. They wanted to go U.S. IPO initially. This was probably two and a half years ago. That came off the table, and then they wanted to go IPO in Shanghai, but because of the lawsuits. It was going to make it untenable. And so they backed away from that. But now, because they need money so bad, despite the lawsuit, they're still IPOing. So, and they were also approved to 
list on the domestic um what's that board right and that never happened so and now they're going through hong kong yeah so the, (laughs) the one thing that's very clear and this will give you an indication of how competitive this is there were talks about xpeng trying to move up market because the mass market sub 250 300,000 RMB segment is so competitive, right? We're talking BYD, Neta, Xpeng was playing there, but it is just brutal at that price point. And then Jidu is coming with a I was going to mention that. And Neil is <laughs> launching the mass brand. Yeah. So you can't hide or <laughs> right you, I mean you're going to face these competition head on. I mean, WM Motor is, I think they have their hands full. And this is also why v, VW is just getting waxed. The ID <laughs> series vehicles are just getting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like. I saw that. There was a tweet. A tweet, <laughs> yeah, about their MSRP, their dealer price, and then they added more money onto the hood. So, ooh, the brand stator is in for. It has to be a complete overhaul of the China market, I would think, strategy. So, yeah, it's uh, what do you call it? Almost like a what hot potato? <laughs> you want to go there? <laughs> uh, so, what they need to do is they need to reconcile what their original timeline for the ID series is, and then pull in new features and try to get them into a twenty-three. Or early 24. Well, they're doing that. I mean, the first priority for carrier China was to get their OTA done on all the ID yeah. vehicles on the market. I think that's happening probably in the second half. I mean, we're almost at the second half of 2022. But, but that's still amazing to me, Lei, because that's like blocking and tackling. That's not really strategic. It's like a qualifier. If you can't OTA in China, there are SOE brands that can OTA. So it's it's just... Super frustrated for them. Yeah. So. And I know that Carriad is poaching people, you know. To, to <laughs> so another uh, brand that's steeped in, in history is Buick. And it, it was weird because they kind of had that simultaneous announcement. So Buick had the kind of the brand day in China. And then simultaneously, it announced that 202030 being all electric, but that's in North America. Yeah. Uh, with the wild, and then they had the Wildcat EV concept. <laughs> so these are kind of, you feel like it's, it's one brand, but there's two separate things going on. <laughs> and Buick is such a steeped in history in China because it, it defined the kind of the midsize executive sedan market with the uh, Buick Century. It defined yes. the family entry car with the sale, 100,000 RMB family sedan with the sale. And it defined the MPV market with the GL8. And and the rest is history, right? Buick, China is the... And they did nothing with it. Yeah, well, they launched this GL8 Century. <laughs> <laughs> so, right? Uh, I believe... GM sales in China was close to 4 million units several years ago. Yeah. And now it's closer to... It's been down... Two and a half? Yeah. Two and a half? Yeah. And I think Buick, it needs to get that kind of the EV 
Mojo going a little bit because it's behind, right? So the common theme that we want to emphasize, I think, without speaking for Lay, is that the legacies are getting pushed out, elbowed out by the domestic players who have strengthened themselves, number one. And then number two, have used this push to electric vehicles to really catch up or create a new starting line. And now they're almost at a level playing field, at least on the EV side. Yeah, and one of the Buick's problems was when they launched the three-cylinder models, it backfired. Okay, so they went back and relaunched the models with four-cylinder engines because the Chinese consumer perception on the three-cylinder engines is very bad. So that was a misstep. And which caused Buick sales as well as Chevrolet's, right, to 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 drop. So yeah, I mean this. Uh... So here's the crazy thing about the foreign automakers, and we're we're also talking the other Germans, we're talking the Koreans and the Japanese too. Is it worth it to invest a lot of capital into the China market moving forward? Because it is just so competitive here, and and their sweet spot, the ICE market, is shrinking. Pretty, pretty substantially over the next several years. And we already heard Volkswagen, and we mentioned this last week. You know, I think some of these foreign automakers are going to have to really think about staying in this market, right? And, uh, you know, if we compare, let's say, Buick and BYD, then, right? Yeah. You know, BYD is more high tech, it's more electric, right? And, And the pricing competitiveness. The crazy thing about GM is that the joint venture, the Wuling Hongguan, a $5,000 car, drives a, a, a decent bit of their volume, right? If we're looking at their sales volume. Yeah. And the way with which Wuling moves is light speed compared <laughs> to, to these Buicks and Chevrolets, right? They How how many different variations of the Hongguan Mini EV have they come out and they've come out with the Air EV for what? Southeast Asia? Yes, for Jakarta. You know, these type of things that they're moving very fast. Whereas the 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 the, the Buicks and the Chevrolets are, are a bit behind. And this is this is the the biggest, biggest thing for me. That they they're probably analysis paralysis. They just gotta move. Like make bold <laughs> moves. So Wuling, for two years, they've sold thirty thousand of these Hongguan Mini, like like clockwork. You could set your watch to it. They're entering Jakarta. They just said that on June 1st with this Air EV. So it's probably a bit higher end than the, the Hongguan Mini EV. But by the second half of 2022, they said they're going to enter other international markets. So they're targeting over a million sales by next year. I think they're 800,000 units or something like that for 2022 or 2023 or something like that. So these moves need to happen fast. And we're talking a car that is basically a Frankenstein parts bin car with a range of 100 to 120 kilometers, 150 kilometers. So don't think of margins. Don't think of of how effective something is. Think of how sticky this vehicle has gotten in a short period of time. That's what they need to kind of shift over to their other legacy brands and products and see what happens because they have all this data for the GLA, for the sale, for the century. So why are you not able to understand what the market wants in China when you understood it so well for the last 20 years? So 
And that's not a knock on one brand or one country's brands. It's just legacies in general. Maybe it's just that the Chinese automakers have just really caught up full stop, right? So so let's move it to a couple of of you know announcements, not announcements, but news that I wanted to kind of bring up. Panasonic is going to be building a factory in either Kansas or Oklahoma for support of the Austin Gigafactory. Makes a ton of fa- makes a ton of sense. Um, so in my prior life at General Motors, I supported logistics for the Fairfax factory and a, a DGM factory in Kansas City and the Oklahoma City factory. So the reason they're looking at one of the reasons uh, Panasonic is looking at Oklahoma City in Kansas is because. Uh, Oklahoma and Kansas is because there's a history of automotive uh, manufacturing in those in those states. Tesla's also opening up superchargers in the UK. I think that's pretty cool. They're already opening up their supercharger network to non-Tesla cars in ha- in in the Netherlands and a couple other European countries. So they're doing it now in the UK. And let me ask you, Lay. What do you think of the ES7? There's a lot more information out on it. I just don't know how that's very distinctive. And it's like this tweener between the ES6 and the ES8, but I just see potential sales cannibalizing ES8 and ES6. So, well, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, the now the, the spotlights on, on the ET7 and the ET5, where ES7, I feel like it's exactly, it's in a bit of a interesting spot. Like no man's land. A little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 NT two point so it, it it looked like a you know nose job on the ESA. <laughs> yeah, basically, right? <laughs> the way I, I would describe it, but I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I I, I like the ES six and the EC six uh, as in terms of styling and, and size. You know, ESA will be too big, so I don't know. I do like the ES six, EC six, that little coupe. SUV thing, crossover things, a little weird. That shape is a little weird to me. So I'd, I'd prefer the ES6. Uh, but see, and this is where I, I wanted to, to kind of counter your, your point about we shouldn't look at sales, especially for NEO month to month. But, you know, 7,000 is actually pretty low, I think. You know, they were averaging, I think, 10,000 or 11,000 units. And there's, a, there's two potential issues, right? One of them, and it could be both at the same time. They're not managing their supply chain very well, and or they're they're just not selling that many units anymore, right? You know, maybe maybe they've plateaued a little bit. So either way, to me, that's a bit concerning, right? I've said this. I'm going to say it again. Um, the <laughs> magic 10k. If you can't do it consistently, I think that's a very fair benchmark for any of these startups. Right, we talked about why, you know, why hamburgers are quarter pounders. Yeah. <laughs> right, it, it just ten k. If you can consistently do ten k, it just you feel better, right? Yes, it, it, psychologically, yes. it's a five digit rather than a four digit. <laughs> and that's why, because they can't even get to ten. So that's why I'm. If it was ten, eleven, then so be it, right? Then I'm not so concerned. But seven thousand is pretty low, right? So. But again, you know, at the price point, they're selling over four hundred thousand MB, right? And the the other thing that is interesting that kind of goes against Neo is that they still have pretty significant runway because 
BYD is going to come out with a premium brand. Xpeng has announced that they're going to move up market. So they're going to compete more directly with Neo. But there's still not a domestic automaker outside of HiFi, which didn't announce sales, which probably tells you that they're not selling very well. You know, there's no other domestic automaker or EV maker that's in the premium segment. So Neo should be just crushing it. I don't know. Well, Great Wall has that salon kind of the high end, and then, then BYD is obviously coming out with the with the high end. So I I'd written in the newsletter that I was a bit concerned because for those that don't know, I grew up in Michigan. Uh, Pontiac boy. So just outside of Detroit. So I pay very close attention to the U.S. auto industry, specifically what's going on in Michigan and those lean states like in the Midwest, Ohio, Indiana, Wisconsin. And I was worried about Michigan missing out on some of those investments that were made, or announcements anyways. And so earlier this week, Ford announced that they'll be investing, I think, $2 billion in the state of Michigan, adding 3,000 jobs. So what we're starting to see is foundational foundational moves by automakers, battery cell manufacturers. And uh, you and I heard some things from our good friend about some aggressive moves by some EV makers here in China to the U.S. market. So I think in the next, let's say, 36 months lay, it could get really exciting, really fun to watch the U.S. market kind of evolve. So, well, Jim Farley, right in in, in the article, he he said, China EV makers. If you look at it, twenty five thousand build and material for an EV in China is probably the best in the world. And I think they're incredibly undervalued. They haven't shown any interest in exporting other than Norway. Uh, that yeah, pretty soon that'll be wrong. <laughs> His international team's giving him feeding him bad intel, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. And, uh, so so quickly, the the only other thing is the so uh, the, the Shenzhen had this administrative regulations on intelligent connected vehicles ICVs. That's the China terminology. And the only thing I'll, I'll mention is um, very interesting to me was this is for. Conditionally automated driving, highly automated driving, and fully automated driving, which essentially are L3, L4, L5, respectively. And the responsibility for the L3 says says that the driver will be responsible for for any accidents, Mm. which is very interesting in 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 the conditionally automated. A driving condition. I've I've not seen this anywhere else. And if you remember, right, Mercedes, when they, you know, launched L3, right, they said they will be responsible. Right. During that uh, situation. Well, it's in Europe and the United States, that's still pretty clear. The the responsibility, once you get to L3, shifts to the uh, automaker or the product owner. Yeah, so, um, it, you know, I haven't read this thoroughly, but uh, it, it looks to be one of the first policies, local policies, supporting kind of L3 autonomous driving. So we'll see how, it, it, it is a draft for common edition right now, so uh, we'll see what happens. But, I mean, it's, it's you know, Shenzhen is ahead leading again. Leading the way. You know? Yeah, leading the way, so... The, the only thing um, I can add is on the purchase tax. 
I'll give you a comparison. So the sixty billion that Li Keqiang announced in that、uh, previous meeting, gradual reduction of sixty billion in purchase purchase tax. To put that into perspective, in twenty twenty one, China's purchase tax revenues was three hundred fifty two billion. So sixty billion of that you can do do the math, right? Roughly how much? This indicates. To you, how severe they feel the downturn is, because if we are exchanging USD to, to RMB, that's like nine billion US dollars. So, and for if we're keeping score since two thousand and nine, the Chinese government has probably invested eighty billion US to build out this EV sector and the battery battery cell manufacturing sector. So. Not an insignificant number, nine billion U.S. dollars to really goose goose the market. That's a big commitment. That brings us to the end of this week's show. Lay and I thank you for tuning in. My name is Tu Li, and you can find me on Twitter at Sino Auto Insight. That's S I N O A U T O I N S I G H T. You can find Lay on Twitter at Lay Xing Seven Seven. That's L E I. X I N G seven seven. If you wouldn't mind rating and or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you grab your podcast from, we'd appreciate that as well. Even better, if you enjoy this show, please tell your friends about it. Please join us again next week as we track down all the latest news on China EVs and more.